Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for this special edition of Take Two. This is Heidi Hatch with KUTV2 News. We are getting close to the Congressional District 2 race on November 21st. And joining me in studio today is Kathleen Reby. Thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. You are a busy candidate. You're uh, working full time as a school teacher right now. You've got your legislative duties and you're running for office. So how do you squeeze it all in? You know, it's kind of what uh, moms do, right? We juggle everything we need to and we find the time to make stuff that's important. Uh, I think that this is something that's really important and I'd really love to see a change in our federal delegation. So we make the time. We figure it out. Absolutely. You say moms because moms have to juggle. How old are your children? Are they still at home, grown up? Where are they at? I have one at the U and I have another one in high school. So um, um, we all decided that this was a good time for me to try to jump in and make this happen. So it's a team effort. Yes. Okay. And what age in high school? Uh, 17. 17. So junior or senior? Junior. Junior. All right. So you're kind of at the same place I am where the whole parenting thing is starting to be almost done. Not that you're ever done parenting kids, but at least the part where they're at home. Yeah, they can drive themselves around, which is a big change. Game changer. For sure. (laughs) Um, Tell me what grade you teach in school. I teach K through 5 technology. And I've been doing that for about 12 years. Prior to that, I was a sixth and fifth grade teacher. We split and then rotate. And so just always been in elementary school, and I love it. What made you want to be a teacher? I've always wanted to be a teacher. I had a teacher in fifth grade whose name was Mrs. Hahn, and she was the nicest lady and made every day so much fun. But, man, if you crossed her... (laughs) She, you, you felt her wrath. So, so you uh, had to be tough. Yes. I, no, I've always wanted to be a teacher. You're, you teach technology, which is interesting because a lot of the time right now we hear about the wars in school are between, you know, kids and tech and they want to be on their phones and they're not paying attention. So uh, what makes technology fun where you can get the kids excited about it, but also draw boundaries and figure out where they're at and meet them where they're at? Well, that's a great question. We have a lot of awesome technology out there that helps us actually navigate different things. You know, um, we have very, very strict policies in our schools what our kids can access. We were actually just teaching a lesson on Nearpod, and we were making Google Slides, and I was using a land school app that lets me see everybody's screen. So I can always see what they're doing, and I can always pay attention to where they're going. And uh, then we also have the ability to push out websites. So, like... You can just send them to any website immediately, and they can go all around the world. And so that's what I really think technology is made for, bringing the world closer to us, seeing different points of view, seeing different websites, going on virtual tours. I mean, it's incredible the things that we can do since the beginning of my career. I was like with the ditto machine. Yeah. (laughs) Are the kids teaching you with technology sometimes, or are you still a step ahead of them in most regards? Oh, they are always teaching me stuff. I'll teach them the 
framework and then like oh did you see this cool little click miss reby and this miss reby i'm like oh my gosh that's amazing we'll stop everything and then they get to teach their peers this cool stuff that they've seen which really is the most fun part about teaching awesome and when we were coming in you were telling me about uh taking time off for the legislature because i always wonder how people pull that off because i think it'd be amazing to be a part of this session but it's another full-time job and for at least a month, you're missing um, work. So you figured out along the way how to pull it off and be a teacher and also serve in the legislature. Yes, my uh, my school district allows me time to take off and I can go and um, be a legislator. And, you know, it's really exciting because as an educator, to advocate for that um, group of people has been really, I think, priceless, you know, having that experience in the legislature. When we make these rules... And I'm like, you know, I think this is what we want, but the intended consequence of what you're going to get is not the same. So let's start to meet those two things in the middle because it does affect every family in the whole entire state. When you run for the legislature, I'm sure there's a lot of things that you want to get accomplished or feel like you probably could make a difference in. Do you feel like in your few years there that you've been able to do what you've wanted or does it take a long time to dig in and get to those issues? It does take a long time. Um, you know, we're as we say, we're a big ship and we move slowly. And so trying to change kind of mindsets, trying to change I thought processes, you know, I mean, I think that you have to develop those relationships or you have to build that credibility that you're actually working for the good of a, a, a goal instead of just trying to get your names on bills. And so I've worked with a lot of different people. I don't really care who runs the bill as long as the policy gets changed that makes a benefit for the kids. What are you most families. proud of so far in the legislature? Oh, I'm most proud of. Um, you know, we've run some great education legislation that I've actually, you know, kind of tweaked a little bit that's been really good. And then there's some other things that, you know, when um, they run a bill and it's like, oh, this is something that is not going to be beneficial. And the person on the other side of the aisle or a person that I work with on the same side of the aisle say, oh, I didn't know that. So that's why it's great to have a representative government, have people from all different walks of life saying like, oh, that doesn't help me or this does help me. Um, yeah, it's... It's sometimes really frustrating, but I do find it very rewarding in the long run. Have you been surprised by the process of government since you've been a part of it, or was it what you were expecting? Oh, my gosh. I was amazed at how easy it is to work with the people up at the Capitol. We have a tremendous staff up there that will help you with any problem. I mean, you can run a bill. I've had, um, I just had some young girl from Juan Diego School write me a letter asking to have November 4th be STEM Awareness Day. So we're going to try to run a resolution to try to bring awareness to STEM. And uh, there's a big event going up on the University of Utah Capitol. So that's just like an indication of how it works. People reach out to you and say, can you please help me with this problem? And you can, and you have a whole bunch of people that will help you with it. So I think the government here in Utah does an amazing job, and I think that there's a lot of potential across the whole entire nation. Speaking of the nation, you're choosing to leap to um, a congressional race. Is that something that you've always kind of had in the back of your head? Or what made you say, okay, this is my time and I'm going to do it? I, I, I never, ever aspired to be in politics, ever. Uh, I ran for the state school board in 2016 after a lawsuit that allowed us to run for office instead of being appointed. And it was a great experience. And then as I was doing that, I'm like, well, in the state school board, you have to interpret laws, and I'd rather make the laws. So I ran for the Senate. And now that I'm at, in the Senate, when I look at how effective and how exciting it is for kids to see me being a representative, I realize that this is a role model situation that really is important for a lot of people across the world and uh, across the nation, and also to be someone who's going to work across the aisle. I, I don't see that happening right now. 
And I do feel a lot of frustration with what's happening. So how do you complain if you don't try to take action? And when people complain to me, I say, have you been to your local meetings? Have you tried to engage with your legislators or your school board members? And that's how you make a change, by engaging. And so I'm engaging at one of the highest levels almost. Here in Utah, every time I talk to both Republicans and Democrats, it seems like there's good relationships, even though differing viewpoints, but good relationships here at the legislature where you can work on issues. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's that amicable when you're looking at Congress. It's very divided. Uh, Republicans and Democrats not working together. We even see parties having a hard time working together right now as we're watching um, with the new House Speaker and how many votes it took to get uh, somebody in place so they can do the nation's business. One of the biggest problems I hear from people right now is the economy and the budget. If you were elected to Congress and you were facing the decision they have right now where they have to go and look at these continuing resolutions and they have to look at the budget, if there's things that should be cut or do they just sign it and move on so there's not a government shutdown, what would you do? Well, the first thing I'm not going to do is shut down the government. The government is a crucial at helping so many people. And so when we did shut down the government when I first was elected into the Senate, it was really detrimental to people across the whole entire state. And I think that that's the most important thing, when we recognize that the government really fills a valuable uh, role for the most vulnerable people in our community. So I would never shut down the government. I would really try to resist that as hard, much as possible. The next thing I would look at is how we can start cut, cutting everybody. budget. Nothing is on... Nothing can be not on the table. Everything has to be on the table. And we have to start looking at how we're spending our money. Um, I used an analogy when I was um, doing the debate with PBS is that, you know, in school we have this use it or lose it mentality, and that has to change. We need to have the money that we need to use, but then we should also be able to say, like, if you're not – if you don't need that big a budget, come back. Don't spend it just because it's there. Yeah, and that, that has to change. And I think that there are a lot of departments out there that have that kind of mindset that we really need to change because we have enough money in this country. We have enough money in the state. We just need to put it to the right places. So how do you get um, a bunch of um, Republicans and Democrats in Congress in Washington, D.C., who are used to doing things the way they do them, to dial it back? Because everyone says we've got to fix it, but then nothing happens to do it. So how do you feel like you'd be able to go in there? Because if you're making cuts, you're always going to be cutting something that somebody likes or somebody wants. How do you go in there and try to systematically go through and make the cuts that are necessary to make it so we can be solvent? I think an interesting take on that would be to see how we can start implementing term limits. I mean, when you look at some of these people that have been there for a really long time, they amass a ton of power, and they also amass a ton of ability to negotiate the budgets the way that they want to, and that's not helpful for anyone. So I think term limits would be something we should look at. The people that are electing us should start looking at how we are doing our stuff. If you, you know, it might be beneficial for your state to have somebody with a lot of power, but it's not helping the state and it's not, and not helping the country and it's not helping our deficit. So the public has a ton of power that I feel that they could use more wisely and start using their power to start reining us in by electing new people. Um, I've heard you say during this election that you wouldn't touch Social Security and Medicaid. And uh, I've listened to Senator, Senator Romney in the last couple of years talk a lot about the budget where we look really closely at what they're trying to pass right now with, you know, a chunk of the budget. But the largest chunk is something that we don't even really negotiate. It really is all of those things like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. And it's a lot of money. And the Congressional Budget Office said that it, sometime in the next 10 years, I believe, that 
it would be insolvent at some point with Social Security, where if nothing were done to it in the next 10 years, people who were getting Social Security would likely take about a 25% cut in what they were receiving. If you were in Congress, what would you do or how would you try to solve this problem? Because leaving it alone isn't the answer. That doesn't help keep Social Security for anyone. So at some point, something has to change. Um, I, I haven't said that I wouldn't touch it. I said that I wouldn't get rid of it. So I think that when we look at how Social Security is working right now, we have a cap of how high your salary has to be, and then you stop contributing at the same amount. I would raise that amount of money that somebody can make, and they still have to contribute. There's also um, a bunch of uh, solutions that they have on the federal website that talk about if you are at a higher percentage of earners, you start to receive less money because if you are um, somebody who has a very... Um, if you're Mitt Romney, you don't need your Social Security exactly. check. Exactly. And I did use an example of this guy that was staying at a resort, and he's like, I have to go back and get my Social Security check. I'm like, wow, you're living in a resort, and you're going back to get your Social Security check. So there is some room for us to re-examine how those equations and algorithms are filled out. We need to start making a, a situation for the most vulnerable to have that safety network. When you think about the death benefit, death benefit or the survivor benefit for families that are really struggling, that's a huge amount of money for someone who doesn't have a caretaker in their lives or two caretakers in their lives. So I think there's room for those algorithms and um, equations to be tweaked so that the people that need it can get more and the people that don't need it still can get out what they've put into it. And do you believe that's something that can actually be accomplished if Congress were to sit down and hash it out? Is this something that's going to take years, or could it be something that's accomplished fairly quickly? Uh, I, I refer to myself as an optimistic pragmatic, and I think it can be done, and I think it has to be done. I think that to take care of, to get rid of these programs that everyone has invested in so much is not humanitarian at all. I think we need them, and I think they've provided a really great network for so many people over the years. Money seems to weigh on the minds of a lot of people right now. Is the economy and inflation the number one thing when you're talking to people as you're out campaigning, or is there a bigger concern that they're focused on right now that they would want Congress to take care of? You know, uh, inflation is on everybody's mind, but I don't think it's the thing that's on their mind the most. I think everybody understands that inflation goes up and down, and it's, it, it, it fluctuates because of what's happening in the world. Um, we, we are living in a very unsteady time right now, and it's very alarming to all of us. I mean, we get up in the morning, we look at the news, and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't even, like, you feel like just closing your, your devices and be like, I can't, I can't engage anymore. But, uh, you know, air quality is something that people talk about all the time. The Great Salt Lake is something that people talk about all the time. And those aren't federal issues, but they can become federal issues if we don't take care of them locally. They talk about education. So when we start thinking about what's happening in the state of Utah, we think about of our partnership with the federal government. And I think too many people think of it as an adversarial relationship. It has to be more collegial. And so all of those things can be worked on more collegially if we can come up with better plans where it's not the overreach that people think that's happening. We can come up with stewardships and partnerships and grants because it, we do have the capacity to change these things for the better, and we just need to have people that are going to work together. Do we need the federal government's assistance on some of those things with education or the Great Salt Lake, or are those things that the state can do better? The state can do better on a lot of those things, and um, we have been working on them. You know, uh, as I said in my debate the other day, sometimes we get to the point where something's at such a crisis mode that we do need the federal government to come in. 
when you drive around the state and into CD2, you can see that there are some programs that the federal government did establish and were kind of carried on by the local government. Um, there's an example of sheep being um, <laughs> running rampant all over the Cedar Breaks Mountains, and they came in and they figured out how to regrow those plants, and it prevented flooding in Cedar um, Cedar Cedar City. And so, like even that, when you look back to that far back, mm-hmm. we've always had partnerships with the federal government when things got a little dire. Uh, we have natural disasters. We have the landslides that happened in Zion's National Park, and we were grateful to have that. A partnership with the federal government to help us rebuild those roads so we can get through the, the national park. So I think there's appetite for change, and I think that there should be um, better partnerships. What would be your number one thing if you were elected to Congress to get in there, make it your top priority, and what would you work on first to try to make the biggest difference? My highest priority is trying to build cohesion with other people. I mean, it's it's very alarming how this divisive it is. So that would be my top priority, finding people that I could work with. I've been endorsed by the Blue Dog Democrats who are um, fiscally responsible. I think that would be a group that I could join really quickly and we could start making um, alliances further. So um, the goal would be to create a more efficient government that is transparent and um, finding people that were willing to do that with me. The Blue Dog Democrats, last time I checked, was probably less than a couple dozen. So it's a pretty small group in Congress. It's a very small group. But, you know, uh, I think that we can look at even John Curtis. He's actually worked hard to create a climate caucus, and I would be willing to work with John Curtis across the aisle on that climate car- the conservative climate caucus. These are really important things, and the letter next to your name shouldn't dictate good policy. Good policy should stand alone regardless of what letters after your name. You spoke about the news when you wake up. There's a lot going on right now. Uh, there's a lot to pay attention to, whether it's in Ukraine or Israel. And I think a lot of people pay attention, really close attention for a few weeks. And then they have bigger problems in their own lives where they have to move on. But Congress is having to make some decisions right now about do we keep funding uh, a war in Ukraine and helping them? Do we do the same in Israel? Where do you stand on those issues? I, I think we have to stand with our allies. Um, you know, when I think about Israel, letting it expand outside of that area would be horrific. And um, we cannot support terrorism in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I, you know, I, I referred to 9-11 and how it impacted me and my family because I still have family back in New York. Having somebody have to deal with your family while being attacked, it's just horrific. So standing with our allies and standing against terrorism at all times is really my highest priority when we start talking about situations like that. So you feel like Israel still deserves um, the U.S. support. Uh, President Biden's been sending in aid now. I think starting today there's been a bunch of trucks going into Gaza to help. Is that the right move right now where the support goes to Israel with what they're trying to accomplish with Hamas, but helping the people of Palestine? Supporting the civilians and making sure that they are safe. Civilians should never be attacked. And so if we can do anything to prevent civilians and families from being attacked, that's something that I can support. Right now, Congress is looking at whether they should fund both Israel and also uh, Ukraine in the same bill. Is that something that can be done together, or do you have to look at them as separate different issues and fund them each separately? I would like to fund them separately. I would like to come up with a better plan that meets the needs of those different um, scenarios. I think that, um, unfortunately, we have a vacuum of power in the United States, and people are taking advantage of it globally. And that's why I think it's really important for us to come together and work cohesively in this country, because we are 
you know, um, a beacon of security across the world. And whether we like it or not, it's a big responsibility that we should be taking seriously. Uh, I think I heard the new House Speaker wanted to split them up, and I don't think Democrats are a big fan, but you would support the Republicans' move right now then to fund each of them separately. Uh, you know, it's it's hard when you start looking at putting a bunch of things together. And th- this is something that we have historically never done in the state of Utah. We try to keep every um, bill with one um, idea in mind. And so when you start putting too many of them together, it doesn't actually meet the purpose of both of them. So I, I would prefer to have both of them separately. If it's too time-consuming or um, it would prevent them from getting the help they need, I would make exceptions because you have to be willing to um, pivot. You can't, you know, have something that you're never going to change on. So we shouldn't speak in hyperbole and we shouldn't speak uh, what we would never do, but I would prefer that they were separate. But if it had to happen, I would look for a path forward. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of the Congress uh, problems with spending come is that everything kind of gets dumped in a giant bill where nobody can read it or understand what's happening. Um One thing that we talk about here on a state level and also nationally, uh, which has been a bit of a tug of war, is looking at energy and whether we should be drilling or fracking in our states, if we should all be going to electric cars or gas cars. When you talk to people, what's their biggest concern here in your district? For energy? Yeah. Uh, you know, when we look at energy across the state of Utah, we, ha- we are lucky to have lots of different opportunities available for energy. And I don't think that one type of energy is the best solution. I think braiding all different types of energy is beneficial to more industries and also makes us more secure. Um, I think that energy is something that we have to start looking at really closely. And when people are frustrated with the different types of energy... I frequently say, well, you know, let's get, take your microwave away. Let's take your cell phone away. Let's take your car away if you don't like energy and see what, how do you feel about that. So we all want to use it and we all have to be responsible for how we have it. So I would braid any different types of energy we could. Um, there's lots of research out there that we can explore in the future. Uh, I think the only thing that I really try to prevent is something that would have a long-term negative impact on citizens in the future. Uh, as it is right now, when we think about what we're giving to our kids, it's not a great picture sometimes with energy and the use of the planet. And I, I, that's, that's where I, I would look most discerningly is what we were going to pass on to our future generations. A lot of the focus here in Utah happens around our um, national parks and national monuments where we saw President Biden his first day of office come in to uh, some of the areas in San Juan County or around Bears Ears and immediately stop fracking or stop drilling. Is that the right answer to just stop these things blanket or do we need to focus on the areas, talk to the states, talk to the tribes, talk to the people who live there before we make these decisions? Because I think there's a lot of frustration of the yo-yos back and forth between presidencies, especially here in Utah and I'm sure in other states like Alaska and Texas where this all happens. Heidi, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that people are really frustrated with the yo-yoing and the fighting back and forth and I think that we need to start working with the people that are surrounded with public lands and see what's working for them. I know some other states have created some stewardship programs where they actually work with the local people to come up with a better plan. Um, you know, we, we've seen in the last couple of um, administrations this vindictive backbiting and fighting, and it's so, it's so tiresome for our country to have to pay for litigation. But we are lucky that we have three 
these three branches of government where we can actually take it to the judges and have them decide. But we shouldn't have to go there. That should be our safety net, and that has become our default. So I would prefer if we weren't going in that direction, but that's not where we're at right now. So should it be something that's left to Congress? I know a lot of our Republican congressional leaders here in Utah have said, you know, let's stop letting the presidents do that, and let's let Congress hash out what should happen with these lands and what goes on in the future. Is that the right answer, or do you see a different way forward? Uh, you know, I, I could see uh, some kind of compromise between those two things. You know, um, it is it it has been something that we've always done in the past where presidents have these powers, but we've seen how it's not working. So that's how we learn how to change. We look at what happens and we see if it's working. And it is maybe something that we need to re, re, um, re-examine, um, putting some guardrails around how much land can be stepped aside and how we can have little input or more input. That's something that we can negotiate and we can figure out a better path forward. As soon as this congressional race is over with, it's a couple months rest and it's time to file for the next race and then we're into the presidential race. There's a lot of talk right now about who our front runners are for Republicans and Democrats, President Trump and President Biden, sorry, former President Trump and President Biden. Do you support uh, President Biden for your party or do you think it's time to look outside of where we are at this point? I support President Biden. He's done a great job. Um, I think that there's always something to say bad about everyone. But I think our economy is moving in the right direction, especially with what's been happening in the globe. Um, I I support the Democratic Party. Uh, I I would have to really look to see what other candidates are out there before I could say that I could support somebody else besides Joe Biden. There's been a lot of talk about concerns about age, whether we're talking about Republicans or Democrats, Mitch McConnell or President Biden, or just, you know, name Nancy Pelosi. There's so many names you could talk about in Congress right now. Should an age limit be something that we're talking about in politics, or do we just need to look at the person and whether they can do the job? Uh, well, I, I think that you should look at the person and see if they could do the job. But I, I do support term limits, and I really wish that we had more young people getting involved. I mean, at every meeting I go to, I see a lot of people <laughs> with the same wrinkles I have, and I'm like, wow, we need more young people in here. And I would beg for our young people to get involved, start running for office, start reaching out to the legislators. Whatever you can do, please get involved, because like I said, we are not we – we're not, we don't have a great legacy we're passing on right now, and I would love to see young people more involved. But as far as age limits, I think you really need to look at the person. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of families talking about and making sure that their kids realize it's important. I have a family that's now all voters. My kids are old enough to vote, and it's so important really to talk to them about why it matters and make sure they continue that legacy. Before I let you go, is there anything you want people to know? To the point that you just made, I think we all need to start going to our local meetings. And uh, I think we need to recognize how important those local elections are. So right now we have a municipal election as well as CD2. And those elections are actually more important to your families than I would even say my election. Those are the people that pick up your garbage. Those are the people that plow your roads. Those are the people that take care of your sewage systems and your your irrigation. So please make sure that you are voting all the way down the ballot. Please be considerate of who's on the ballot. It's so much easier to look at your ballots with this mail-in election where you can Google people's names, you can click on their names, go to a hyperlink. So please take the time, be engaged, vote all the way down the ballot. It's so important for your local communities and your local schools. Now that you're involved in politics, you see how much work it is to get the message out. And you mentioned, you know, you can Google easily when it's a congressional race or a presidential race. Sometimes it's harder with those down ballots because you're like, I have no idea about them. What do you suggest to people so they can get involved and understand what they're voting on the municipal level? I have people call me nonstop, like 
on November 1st, I'm going to start getting at least 10 or 20 phone calls a day. So, you know, if you don't know who to vote for, reach out to someone that's engaged in politics. That's someone that you respect that maybe you're a city council member, might be your local leader, might be a friend of the family who attends a lot of meetings, and ask them, hey, I don't know how to vote on this. And then if they tell you flat out vote for someone, be like, why? (laughs) But if they try to explain the difference, because I try really hard to say, like, this is the person that is going to do this, and this is the person that favors this. I try not to tell them the name. I try to give them a quick little rundown of who those people are. But sometimes it's really, um, it gets really hard. It, it is hard to negotiate those really small, minor, uh, not minor, but um, more detail-oriented positions. So um, reach out to someone who is understanding of this, those kind of um, positions and ask them those questions. And if people have questions for you, they want to meet you or understand more before the race, we've got basically three weeks left, I think, as of today. How do they find out more about you and your campaign? I have a uh, Reby for Congress website. Uh, I have a phone number. I have a Twitter handle. I have Facebook. I have a, I have some volunteers helping me answer all these questions. So uh, really any type of social media or phone or email or snail mail, I'm ready to receive them all, and I'm ready to try to answer as many as I can. And uh, that's that's the hard part. It's trying to find all these social medias, and I'm sure you have the same it's experience. It's a lot, yes. <laughs> I've refused TikTok at this point. I can only handle so much to answer questions and follow. But, yes, there's a lot of places to be these days. So thank you so much for being in here today. And um, one quick question before I let you go. In your school, and since you're involved in politics, are you having any um, – pretend elections with your kids or getting them involved in politics or do you keep that outside of the classroom oh i try to keep it as much outside the classroom as i can we did have a lesson about the three branches of government and they did find my name on the website which was pretty cool it was they, pretty they fun. Like that yeah they're really excited that they can see a teacher who's also a legislator and that's why it's so important for every walk of our lives to be involved in this process absolutely thank yep. you so much for being with us today thank you thank you